0: This segment today is going to be a part of our weekly series entitled Wisdom for Kings. See, we want to do a series that we highlight the wisdom of the Proverbs. The Proverbs are not just cookie cutter statements left over from your Cracker Jacks or your fortune cookie that you got from your meal. Rather, the Proverbs are a father's instructions to his son. More so, this is Solomon's kingly wisdom given to his sons so that they can rule. This is wisdom for kings. So for us to rule well, for us to build well, we need wisdom. We need the Proverbs. This week's proverb is probably not an all-too-familiar proverb. One, we're just not too familiar with the Proverbs in general, but... Second is we often don't read Proverbs like this because they don't sound that great. They don't mean too much to us in our culture, in our context. But this is Proverbs 17.6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Now, I thought much about this proverb this week. I've been reading through the Proverbs a lot lately and have been drawn to the fact that God has deposited much wisdom for us in these Proverbs, and we've neglected it for far too long, especially here when we think of fathers. Fathers are something of little or no significance in our own culture, and in fact, little or no significance even in the church. Fathers are not honored, and fathers do not do things to be honored for. We have, in turn, erased fatherhood because we have forgotten what it means to be a father. And one of the key impacts that we see this is a father's legacy to his son. I've become pretty convinced over the years that while you're studying and reading theology, part of what you need to do is read and study other men. Men from the past have much for us to learn, much for us to glean from, and also much for us to then go and do differently. You see, men of the past are in one sense in the, in, in the church. They are fathers to us. They instruct us through their past, their wisdom, through their writings, through their life, through their mistakes, through their sin. They impart wisdom for God's people. And so, if you study theology at all, one thing you need to pick up into your hands is some autobiographies or biographies of other faithful Christians. You need to learn from your fathers. But as I was picking up one this week, I couldn't help but think of a very sharp contrast that I was reading about between the life of Augustine and the life of John G. Patton. Now, you don't think of those two necessarily being comparable. I mean, most people, when they hear both of those names, they know who Augustine is. Uh, Not as many people know who John G. Patton is. But if you don't know him, you should get to know him. You can pick up his autobiography from Banner of Truth for a pretty good price, but it's a great autobiography of of a man who you would learn much from. But while we would typically think of Augustine as the greater theologian, and maybe so, maybe the greater man in history, I was pretty shocked to find this as I was reading about Augustine in his early life. And one thing a lot of people don't know, and maybe don't know because Augustine doesn't write too much about, is his father. And it really made me think of that proverb that we read at the beginning, that the glory of children is their father's. But here is what John Piper has to say in his little uh, overview of Augustine's early life. He says this, His father, Patricius, a middle-income farmer, was not a believer. He worked hard to get Augustine the best education and rhetoric that he could, first at Medaura, 20 miles away, from age 11 to 15, then after a year at home in Carthage from age 17 to 20. His father was converted in 370, the year before he died, when Augustine was 16. He mentions his father's death only in passing one time in all of his vast writings, This is all the more striking when you consider the many pages spent on the grief of losing friends. As I grew to manhood, he wrote, I was inflamed with desire for a surfeit of hell's pleasures. My family made no effort to save me from my fall by marriage. Their only concern was that I should learn how to make a good speech and how to persuade others by my words. In particular, he said that his father, took no trouble at all to see how I was growing in your sight, O oh God, or whether I was chaste or not. He cared only that I should have a fertile tongue. The profound disappointment in his father's care for him silenced Augustine's tongue concerning his father for the rest of his life. Friends, that's all that most have to say about Augustine's father. In fact, that's all that Augustine really has to say about his own father. And I want you to hear the contrast with someone like John G. Patton and what he has to say about his father. This is from John G. Patton's autobiography. This is beginning on page 21, second paragraph. How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world. the service of Jesus, and for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior, and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. As we rose from our knees, I used to look at the light on my Father's face, and I wish I were like him in spirit, hoping that, in answer to his prayers, I might be privileged and prepared to carry the blessed gospel to some portion of the heathen world. And he continues on page 25. Two days thereafter, I started out from my quiet country home on the road to Glasgow. Literally on the road. For from Tortherwald to Kilmarnock, about 40 miles, had to be done on foot, and thence to Glasgow by rail. Railways in those days were as yet few, and coach traveling was far from beyond my purse. A small bundle, tied up in my pocket handkerchief, contained my Bible and all my personal belongings. Thus was I launched upon the ocean of life. I thought on one who says, I know thy poverty, but thou art rich. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday, and tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever memory steals me away to that scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand with his long flowing yellow hair, streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast and our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you, and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could. And when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat and adieu, I was round the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was too full and sore to carry me further. So I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then, rising up cautiously, I climbed that dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him, and just at that moment I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dyke and looking out for me. He did not see me, and after he had gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face towards home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze and then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft, by the help of God, to live and act so as to never grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. The appearance of my father, when we parted, his advice, prayers and tears, the road, the dike, the climbing up on it, and then walking away, head uncovered, have often, often, all through life, risen vividly before my mind, and do so now while I am writing, as if it had been but an hour ago. In my earlier years particularly, when exposed to many temptations, his parting form rose before me as that of a guardian angel. It is no Pharisaism, but deep gratitude, which makes me here testify that the memory of that scene not only helped, but by God's grace to keep me pure from the prevailing sins, but also stimulated me in all my studies that I might not fall short of his hopes and in all my Christian duties that I might fully and faithfully follow his shining example. Friends, that is the testimony. That is the testimony of the Proverbs. That is the testimony of a father to a son. Proverbs 17, 6, like we read, grandchildren are the crown of the age and the glory of children is their fathers. We need fathers to be the glory of their children. Until next time, this is Wisdom for Kings.